morning, West Bowles. Blessed to be with you guys this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter chapter 22. As uh, Thomas mentioned, uh, love Thomas and his family. Uh, followed his career through friends for a long time. My wife uh, Amy and our uh, daughter Faith Ann and son Levi just live right down the street. We've lived in the neighborhood for 14 years and enjoyed being your neighbor. And as Thomas mentioned, I've been working with a church in Lakewood for several years, and we'll talk a little bit about that this morning. There are certain passages of Scripture that are meant to really drive in Amos, and Matthew 22 is one of those passages. As you know, when God wants to really get our attention, He made us, He knows where we struggle. He uh, either puts something at the first or at the end, or He repeats it. And the passage and the teaching and the command of Matthew 22 is oft repeated, and we'll look at that today. For the past few weeks, Thomas has been leading this church on a series about loving your neighbor. It's obviously the call and the mission of this church, and there could be no greater call or no greater need than for a family of Christians to live out the command and the opportunity to love like God, to love like Jesus, where they've been planted in this world. So in Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus says this, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. As I'm sure Thomas has brought out, this is the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Say, Shema. Shema. It's the basic, the essential creed of all Jewish faith. Every Jewish service would begin with everyone gathered reciting the Shema, and then every service would end with the reciting of the Shema. It is the mission. It is the essential element, the key expression of what it means to believe in God. In other words, if we don't get the Shema right, it doesn't matter what else we've got right. If we know and understand all spiritual things, if we have incredible gifts, but we don't get this right, we've missed everything. It is the essential. It's the starting and the stopping place of all faith. It's the first thing that a Jewish child would memorize, the Shema. Of course, you know, uh, those of you in the youth group, the, uh, by the time you were 14 or 15 years old, you would have memorized the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. I'm sure you guys do that here in the West Bowles youth group, just normally routine. The love of God is to dominate all other human emotions. Think about that for a minute. Your love for God, your love from God should dominate all human emotions. But then Jesus adds to the Shema, verse 39, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus quotes Leviticus 19, 18. So Jesus says the highest form, the clearest expression of loving God is when we love others. This command then is repeated six times in the New Testament. Matthew 19, Mark 12, Luke 10, James 2. But then a couple of passages, let's look at briefly. Romans 13, Romans 13. So Paul is speaking to this church in Rome. It's a very decadent, wild uh, city. Uh, many of the Christians that 
Paul is writing to are struggling in different life situations. And he writes in Romans 13 verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Interesting wording. The debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covenant. Whatever other commandment there is may be summed up by this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul, I believe, is calling, inviting us to seek, to desire, to be overcome with the nature of love. Now, you were born with certain natures, with certain urges. In fact, that's one of the biggest debates in our culture today is does your urge, does your nature, does that define you and identify you? Or are there other urges that we seek and we desire and we pursue and we want to be overcome by these other desires, godly desires, spiritual desires? So Paul is inviting us to place ourselves before the Spirit of God and say, Holy Spirit, take control of all my passions, all my desires, and channel and express God's love through me. could be your prayer tomorrow as you enter your workplace. So Lord, there's some work. I I might need to do some work today. I don't really want to do any of it. That's probably your confession. But, But the greatest responsibility, you have placed me where I work for one reason, to demonstrate your love. That's my greatest call. You've raised me up in the blood of Christ and you have placed me strategically where I work to advance the kingdom of God. And that kingdom has one voice, has one message. God is, God lives, God loves. And that's what I'm gonna be consumed with today. Your neighborhood, wherever you live. Now Amy and I, we happen to live close to Rex and Joyce. Rex, uh, Rex has a snowblower, which is a very highly valued commodity in Colorado. And so um, where, where you are, where you're living is no accident. It's not about your choice, not your desire. But if you live for God, you live for the mission of, of expanding the kingdom of God. God rules by love. So where you live is strategic and is important because you have an opportunity to live that mission, the mission of loving others in the name of God. We become love. And then another passage, Galatians 5, verse 13, Paul, again, speaking to the Galatian church, and this is a church that was very concerned with doing all the rules right. And I think that the rules, the commands of Scripture are important to us, but look what Paul says, Galatians 5, 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, But don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So you want to be spiritual? That's great. You want want to be biblical? Fantastic. That shows up by the way we love others. In fact, we ignore our own needs. We, we ignore the things that we would desire. We set them aside. Uh, it, it's not that we're second. Our needs never even come up in the equation. We never even give thought to what we would prefer or what we would desire. We're not second. We're not even on the page. We live only 
to channel the love of God to others. Here's a fact. Here's a fact. You were born needing a relationship. You were hardwired by God to need others, their love and to express that love. And here's fact number two. Everybody you know, everybody you work with, yes, even that guy. Everybody you live next door, yes, even that neighbor. Everyone in the world needs love relationship. God designed the world. Now listen to me. God designed the world so it only works when Jesus' followers obey these two commands. We don't live expecting the world to make it work. We live expecting Christians to make the world work through God's love. Let's pray this morning. Lord, pray that you would open our hearts to the teachings of Jesus, that the command to love, but the opportunity, the awesome adventure of living your love. Give us the strength and the courage to pursue, to desire, to be overcome by the nature of love today. Bless this church, Lord, and move this church into the mission of loving neighbors. Let that be the distinctive of West Balls, that they would revolutionize Littleton, Colorado through the love of God, love of Jesus channeled to them. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So um, I lived for several years in Abilene, Texas, where Thomas saw me speaking. Uh, more than likely, at the end of that camp week, I jetted out after my last speaking engagement and headed straight for Colorado. So for a couple of extra decades, I was blessed with singleness for several decades extra. That was lots of fun. But for several single years, I surrounded myself with a group of friends who loved to go rock climbing and mountain climbing and... Uh, Pursue adventure and risk sports. Uh, here's two facts about my group of friends today. Number one, they all have kids. Number two, they all have thousands of dollars in gear sitting in their garage that are never going to be used again. <laughs> so why in the world would we have thousands of dollars in, in adventure gear that we never use anymore? Well, um, research has told us that becoming a father changes men hormonally. When you become a dad, the circuitry in your heart gets rewired. And when your hormones change, your behavior changes. And if you don't really understand what I just said there, your wife will be able to explain it to you later. <laughs> Fatherhood has mental health benefits, according to David DeGarmo. Fatherhood prompts men to be less self-centered, more giving, more outward focused and to temper their risks. Temper their risks. I used to thrive on risk. I used to dream and fantasize about going out and experiencing risk. And I remember the exact moment that all changed. <laughs> 3.30 in the afternoon, September the 29th, 2001, my son Levi was born. 20 of my closest friends, all adventure fun hogs, crowded the waiting room. And I held my son, and I didn't know it, but everything about me was changing. The doctor came to me as I held my son and explained that Levi needed a few extra days in the critical care unit so his lungs 
would fully develop and finish developing. I understood exactly what he was saying. It made rational, logical sense. No big deal. The doctor assured me Levi would be fine. I felt completely peaceful. The nurse takes Levi out of the room. Moments later, my best friend Kevin walks into the room. He sees Amy, my wife. He sees Levi, my son. I mean, he sees me, but he sees no Levi. And he says, where is Levi? And I looked at Kevin and tried to explain this logical information the doctor had just explained to me. But instead, I just burst into tears. Kevin, bracing himself for hard news. Okay, what's going on? Is everything okay? I, I didn't have any hard news. I had just lost the capacity and the ability to communicate. What had happened to me? I need relationship. I was born needing relationship, and Levi rewired my heart. He rewired my emotions. And you're just like me. How do I know, how do I know relationship is God's plan for our lives? Three things. Number one, God lives in relationship. When we read scripture, we understand that God is a relationship. He communicates who he is to us as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. In his image. God is a community, three in one. In his image, in community, in relationship, we look like God. Number two. Jesus lived in relationship. In Mark chapter 3, we read that Jesus goes on the mountain and he calls out those who he wanted to be with him. He gives them special abilities and special chores and gifts and challenges. Everything Jesus did for three years, he does in community with the disciples. And then number three, Satan hates relationship. Have you noticed that? Satan attacks relationship, your marriage, your, your neighbor relationships, your work relationship. Hate, Satan hates relationship. In, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is trying to describe how church is supposed to function and work. And then in chapter 4, he warns us, though. Hey, here's the first three chapters. Here's how it's set up. But here's what you need to watch out for. Because there is a force that will attack everything good that you're trying to do. In Ephesians 4, verse 25. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives the foothold to the devil. Satan is at the root of all of our relationship challenges. You're not mad at that person. You're not mad at your mate. You're not mad at your child. You're mad at Satan. He is our enemy. Well, Levi was born at 3.30. By 3.35, we were separated for the next few days, and he was in this plastic incubator at Hendrick Hospital there in Abilene. I was miserable. I'd been a dad for five minutes. Now I can't stand to be separated from this little squishy blob that had been born. By that evening, Amy and I were in the hospital. We were in the hospital room, and we were really struggling. It was after visiting hours, and we called three of our closest friend couples, and we asked him to come back to the hospital. We asked him to come back for two reasons. Number one, 
The food was horrible. And there was a hamburger place in Abilene that I would almost fall down on my knees and worship the burgers. Please bring me a burger from Lytle Land and Cattle. But number two, Amy and I needed, Amy and I needed them to come carry our hearts across this place where we had never been before. Are you that kind of friend for someone else? We all need someone to carry us at times. Your neighbors can only find their way to God when we become that kind of friend, the friend that carries the hearts of the those that God places us in relationship with. It wasn't your decision. It wasn't your choice. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't a coincidence. You have been strategically placed in relationship. And your number one mission is to love your neighbors like God loved us. So in 2005, as I was preaching at Lakewood Church of Christ in Lakewood, Colorado, hidden on the Green Mountain neighborhood, high above everyone else, uh, several pastors and I formed the Lakewood Church Network. About eight pastors, and we meet monthly and have met monthly since 2005 for prayer. And then we just were seeking God. How can we love each other? How can we answer the John 17 prayer of Jesus that we would be one? It's not God's desire that we would fight and divide over the same scripture, over the same Jesus. Do you agree with me this morning? And so as we prayed and connected, we, we were seeking the more of God. Several of you are here this morning because you're seeking the more of God. You're looking at your job. You're looking at your life. And you're, and you're asking the question, is this it? Is this, is this the deal? We just accept the way the world is? We don't do anything about it? We just accept the fury and the violence and the fear? This is it? Really? And so together we came together and we were seeking the more of God. Sometimes there are blessings and plans of God that he withholds until we come and ask together for the more of God. Give us the more. Give us this neighborhood. Give us this school. Give us this community, God. I know it's your plan. I know it's your desire. There's more. And we come together and we plead, Father, give us more. It's a risky prayer, but it's a risky prayer I believe the leaders of this church are asking right now. Break the walls that divide us. Well, um, God led us to ask for risky things. And then risky things began to happen. In 2011, some conversations began between the church network and school leaders and city leaders in Lakewood. And we landed on a school, Foothills Elementary School, right next to my church up on Green Mountain. At that time, Foothills Elementary School was really struggling and had been struggling for over a decade. 55% of the students were free and reduced. That means the government pays for all their food. It looks like a very affluent neighborhood and you're wondering, how could there be 55%, more than half the students there that don't have basic food needs met? Well, it's because the neighbors had abandoned the school and 90% of the students were coming from multifamily housing. That means apartment complexes and condos. What that means is there was a 45% turnover 
in student enrollment every single semester. So every semester you're a teacher and half your class is brand new students. Those students never have a chance to learn. Those families never have a chance to get it together. For over 10 years, the school had been sliding academically, falling further and further below school district grade goals for every grade. Enrollment in the school was down from 450 to 280. And so the Lakewood Church Network collaborated together on a project called the Foothills Field of Dreams. It was a $450,000 project to restore a broken sports field. And we're going to show you a little video right now that tells a brief story about the Field of Dreams. There's a field next to Foothills Elementary School that's been sitting quietly for more than 20 years. There are no teams practicing their favorite sport, no kids running in the grass, and no sound of children's laughter. Kind of not fun playing on it because there's goat heads out there and you could fall easily on the rocks. It's been icky. Every time me and Daniel, my friend Daniel, walk home, we get splinters all over our feet, and it's annoying because it looks nice until you play on it. The vision of what this field could become began three years ago when Lakewood Church of Christ Senior Minister Reg Cox found out about the dilapidated athletic field, which is right down the street from his church. The community working together really was the wind under the wings that got this thing going in the first part. We, we had a conversation in school between uh, some of the city folks and the school folks, project managers from both areas, and just reached a goodwill agreement. Uh, city, would you, would you make it easy to, to, to do this project? And school, would you let us raise money and design something on your property that we can work with together? And, and school, will you make it easy for the parks department to schedule little league teams? And, and you know, city, would you, would you help out? And so everybody uh, threw in together from the very beginning. But to make it work, then we had to reach out to the business community. And to, to make it work, we had to work with uh, the HOA president and get to know the neighborhood that has wanted this field to be fixed for 44 years. So uh, everybody uh, along every step of the way was very cooperative, very encouraging, and worked together. There's been an overwhelming level of support from the local community, including parents, students, teachers, neighbors, as well as local businesses and church groups. Contributions collected since January 2013 have ranged from $1 from students to up to $10,000 from enthusiastic community members. Neighbors and business owners have also stepped forward to offer their support through volunteering and providing in-kind support. That makes me really happy to see everybody come together. It shows that this really is a community and that we can make things happen. The community rallied together to raise $138,000, and the project also received a $338,000 Great Outdoors Colorado grant. Oh, there's been tremendous community support. In fact, we can't thank our community enough for the support that they've provided. At the beginning, we held several community meetings just to make sure that there wasn't anything we were overlooking in terms of um, obstacles. And the community was overwhelmingly in support of uh, not only improving this parcel of land, but adding value and um, a uniqueness to the area. Before, I, when I fell, it would hurt because of the goat heads. But, uh, uh, now they're going to change the, it and it will get the goat heads out so if you follow it won't hurt anymore.
Improvements to the field will not only benefit students at Foothills Elementary School, but also residents in the area. The community will have a new athletic field for baseball and soccer, upgraded playground equipment, and a track circling the field, providing local youth league associations with a field for practice and play. It's really cool. You know, who would have thought two years ago, or roughly two years ago when we started, that we'd be here today? But we're trying to take this template throughout the City Lake with the different schools and churches and really make it a successful model to benefit all. And so with these sort of community projects where people are actually putting in their own sweat equity, it's like they have an ownership. This is truly their project. And in that sense, it's not only a good project, but it's something that they can really you know, take home and call their own. Oh, the students are very excited. Because you know, the students have gym, PE class inside because there is nowhere for them to play outside. So they're very excited about this. And they have been involved from the get-go, uh, from the beginning. Um, they do, they've been doing fundraising at school, so they would have like a hat day where they would wear a dollar to wear a hat. Um, and we've, they've been doing this for a period of two years. And so they've contributed about $2,500 to the project. Every time that comes, my grandma always gives me like $5. And I give it to the Field of Dreams. The foundation is relationships. Uh, uh, connecting together and being friends with one another, being good neighbors. Uh, really, uh, one way to explain this project is really good neighbors uh, shared goodwill and shared their resources to make something happen. And so if, we're, if we have a relationship with each other and we're being good neighbors, uh, the problems in our community and in our world can be solved when we work together to fix them. It's, I think, the most meaningful project that I have witnessed in my seven years as mayor. It's an example of what can be done when we all get together and talk and vision and combine our resources. I think most importantly, it's an example of what we can do when we look around close to home, look in our own neighborhoods. Sometimes, very rightfully, we all look at, look at areas of need throughout the world, but we have so many needs right here at home. We now have a demonstrated way to get together and solve some of those most serious of challenges. The work done to improve the field is a shining example of community spirit and volunteerism. This is what we can do when we do it together. The message and the invitation of Love Your Neighbor is not just something we ought to do. It is the key to transforming our culture. It's the key to transforming our lives. It gives you the greater sense of purpose for where you are and what you do. Your job is not your identity. Your family is not your identity. Your hair or lack of it is not your identity. Loving your neighbor is the catalyst for a revolution of the kingdom of God. 2012, we started raising funds for Foothills Field of Dreams, and we also partnered with the Denver after-school tutoring program, faith-based program called WizKids. We were working with this struggling elementary school, Foothills Elementary. In 2012 and 2013, uh, we were just hoping to stop the academic slide. Instead, by the next year, we saw a 7% increase in academic scores. Let me tell you, when you're working with a school that for 10 years has been going in a negative direction, to have a 7% increase in academic scores in one year is spectacular. The enrollment rose to 300. The next school year, 20, 2013 and 2014, we had a 12% academic boost in the first semester. Enrollment rose to 320. I knew that something powerful was going on, something miraculous was going on, but I didn't know how big of a deal it was until I met with the 
school board president. School board president at Jeffco Schools at the time met with me and said, Reg, this is impossible. You can't turn an underperforming elementary school around in two years. It can't be done. 2014, 2015, Foothills Elementary School moved, moved from a C-level school to a B-level school, and enrollment rose to 345. 2015, 2016, this last school year, Foothills Elementary, every single grade exceeded the academic goals of the school district. Every single grade. And enrollment has risen to 365. The Lakewood Church Network, now uh, this past year, we did tutoring programs in nine elementary schools. We tutored 156 kids across the city of Lakewood, 180 volunteers. In fact, volunteers from this church drove over to help me at Foothills Elementary School. Thank you very much, Wes Bowles. Give yourself a hand this morning. So I know it's popular in our culture. I know that there are narratives, popular narratives, that are very critical. It's real popular in our country to be, to wring your hands, be paranoid, and to be chicken little. Listen, you're not called to be chicken little. You're called to make a difference. You're revolutionaries. Quit spreading negative lies. You know, I know you've heard the story that schools are kicked out the church. Baloney. I'm teaching Jesus in nine elementary schools in Lakewood, Colorado every week. That's what's really happening. I recently met with the Title I directors. There are six elementary schools out of 23 in Lakewood that are the highest need elementary schools. One of them, Stein, has 90% free and reduced. There's families living in a car in the parking lot. The four directors in the Ed Center said to me, Reg, is there any way you could get whiz kids in every single one of our elementary schools in Lakewood? And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, Lord, what do we got going on now? The only, the only thing holding us back from 23 whiz kids is volunteers from churches rising up and saying, I'll give one hour a week for 25 weeks to tutor kids in elementary schools. In January, the city of Lakewood applied for the All-American City Award with the National Civic Lead. The National Civic Lead, for over 100 years, has recognized 10 communities in America for outstanding civic accomplishments. To win, cities that are applying must demonstrate innovative, inclusive, civic engagement and cross-sector collaboration by describing successful efforts to address pressing local challenges. The criterion this year was collaborative partnerships, projects have been developed to serve children in the community. All three of the stories that Lakewood told are stories about churches and schools working together to serve their community. And two of the stories were projects Lakewood Connects, the organization that I lead, designed and are uh, managing. In March, we found out the city of Lakewood was a finalist with 20 other cities and we worked together to develop a unifying theme and script for business leaders and principals and, and school children to tell at the uh, National Civic League conference last weekend. So last Saturday we presented our story and Lakewood won the, the All-American City Award. So stop and think about that for a minute. The National Civic League reviews the best programs in America. 
where people are serving. And they just awarded the All-American City Award to projects where churches are leading projects to love their neighbor as their self. Do you realize what I'm saying? The invitation is to step away from all the negative hoopla, all the things that you're afraid of, and to claim your rightful place as the revolutionary force that changes our communities for Christ. I don't know what's going to happen across the world, but I know what's going to happen in Littleton, Colorado. An army of people who love God are going to rise up out of this church. And they're going to start by just loving the people in front of them. That's what the pastors did. We came together, Lord, give us a greater love for our community. Demonstrate, show how we can be effective neighbors to love the apartment complexes, the schools, the people we work with. Lord, we just want to love them, Lord. Break down barriers that hold us back from demonstrating and giving your love. So I've been transitioning. I'm no longer the senior pastor at my church. I'm transitioning to what's called City Connector. Uh, there are now 30 churches in the Lakewood Church Network in Lakewood. And I now lead another organization called the Lakewood Faith Coalition. It's all the face in Lakewood, Colorado. All the face in Lakewood, Colorado. So I've got the Mormons and the Buddhists and the Muslims trying to obey the greatest command of Jesus. So put that in your pipe and smoke it this morning. <laughs> so we're leading projects to transform literacy, families, health, neighborhoods, and churches and become the catalyst force to obey the greatest command. Because Jesus said all the other, all the other laws, all the other teachings of Scripture, in the NIV, if you're reading this morning, he says hinge, swing. This is what makes everything else works. So we have several projects in WizKids. And a lot of these families that we're working with are really struggling in a lot of ways. In other words, every family has a story. And so I'm, there are all, we have 40 kids at Foothills that we tutor. And uh, I'm, I'm, we have two, two or three uh, little activities. One is a rodeo every spring. And I'm always worried that we're going to lose one of the kids. So I come, I, you know, I come running down there on Sunday, and we're getting everybody in vans and buses. And all the kids know me, all the parents know me, and I'm just like you. I can't remember anybody's name. And so uh, every once in a while, I'll see somebody, and they'll say, Hey, Reg, and I'll go, Hey, you, you know. <laughs> and uh, th this particular Sunday, there is uh, a single mom there. There's a story there. I don't know that story. But you and I, we got a pretty good idea that it's a painful story, right? And, and she's a single mother, and she's got a second grade boy. I wonder what that's like. A lot of challenges there. And so uh, we're standing there, and the kids all get on the bus, and the mom lingers. And I could just feel she wants to say something to me. And I'm, I don't know what to say. How do you start a conversation with someone whose name you're supposed to know and you can't remember? And so um, I just said, hi, <laughs> dorkiest leading line of all time. And, um, and then I said, uh, how's WizKids been for your, your son? And she looked at me like I'd asked the dumbest question she'd ever been asked. And so she leans into me real close and she says this, he didn't want to go to school anymore. 
He couldn't do math. So you're a single, you're a single mom of a second grade boy who doesn't want to go to school anymore. Like, what are you hoping for? What's the future trajectory of your boy's life? And then she points her finger at me and says, defiantly, now he gets tens on his homework and we post it on the fridge. I almost fell down on the parking lot. There's a world waiting to be changed. And I, and I wish that God would remove all your problems, fix all your finances, grow back your hair. I wish God would do whatever it is that's a burden for you. But let me tell you, it's a lot more fun to live for the mission of God than it is to live for the mission of you. To be consumed with knowing God's love, making it clear in my mind, Lord, dominate my thoughts with your love. Dominate my passions. To be your force of love. And I'm going to start right here where you've planted me, where you've positioned me. Give me influence. Help me have the courage to impact others and not sit around whining because they're not giving to me. So how can you get involved? I, I, uh, I'm going to be in the foyer hanging out to talk to some of you that are compelled today. But let me tell you the number one thing you can do. The number one thing you can do is plug into your neighborhood. And to pray this prayer. Lord, you have planted us here in this neighborhood for kingdom impact. Give us the ability to know how to impact our neighbors for you. That's the number one thing you could do. Thomas and your church leaders are going to give you some strategies. They're going to give you some tools. Take those things and lay them out on the table today and pray over them. Lord, what do you want us to do? Where do we start to love our neighbors? I want to obey the greatest command. Can you imagine praying that prayer and God saying, no, I don't think I want to help you do that. Number two, you may want to get involved. You may want to become a whiz kids tutor. Right now, we could dream about that in Littleton, but I've got several spots for you in Lakewood. If you live in Lakewood, or if you have the ability to be at a school at about 345 on Tuesdays or Thursdays, just one day a week, I could sure use you. Come out and I'll sign you up and get your information. Number three, you may want to know what's going on with me and the church network and the other church networks in the metro area. If you come out, I'll sign you up for my newsletter. Once a month, I'll send you some some stories about what's really going on. You can unplug for the Denver Post maybe once a month. And then lastly, my wife is here this morning, and you may think, I want to help Reg not starve to death, and so uh, you may want to help us out financially. It's going to be exciting to be you. You were meant and prepared and gifted for more. Don't you want more? Don't you want to live into the greater purpose of God for your life? Why would you accept less? Is paranoia really all that fun? Is being discouraged your favorite human experience? I don't think so. It's supposed to be fun to be you. It's supposed to be fun to be the people of God that throw parties for our neighbors and carry them across those difficult places. Lord, 
We just help, help us today receive this word. And I pray for this church and its leaders as they discern the exact specific application of your call in this church, in this neighborhood. Wes Bowles is here for a, an important purpose. It has incredible gifts, Lord. Look at this facility, this incredible praise team, its leaders. But Lord, all of this pales in comparison to the opportunity we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. So Lord, channel your love through this church. May this church set this community and the city on fire for Christ through living your love. We pray all this today in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.